Recovery Elevator episode 449. Feeling more centered, feeling more present in my time with my son, especially. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Santino. He's 35 years old from Taunton, Massachusetts, and took his last drink on May 4th, 2022. Great job, Santino. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do such an incredible job. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. Here's a fun alcohol fact for you. Did you know that Genghis Khan died in August 1277 when he fell off a horse while riding drunk? Alcohol is shit unless it prevents a bellicose war tyrant from killing another couple million people. Interesting. We have got a new course coming up called Ditching the Booze, Writing a New Narrative. This five-week course helps you explore your sobriety story through journaling and writing prompts. When we drink, it's so easy to get caught up in the roller coaster of thoughts, feelings, and emotions running through our minds. Writing helps us to get out of our head, unpack those old narratives, leave them on the page, and begin a new story. Whether you're on day one or 1000, this course will help you explore the creative process of writing, reflect on, and unpack your sobriety story in a safe place, and establish a journaling practice to carry you forward with you on this journey course starts Monday, October 2nd at 7.30 p.m. Eastern and runs for five weeks. This course is for Cafe Ari members only, and there's a link in the show notes to join. Thank you, Robin. All right, before we get any further in today's episode, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Soberlink. Did you know there are 15 million people in the United States with an alcohol use disorder? And yet there's still a stigma that surrounds addiction and recovery. We need to stop being ashamed and start sharing in our sobriety. That's why we're so excited to have a sponsor like Soberlink who shares in our beliefs. If you haven't heard of Soberlink Alcohol Monitoring System, it's the perfect accountability tool for those in recovery. It can help you rebuild trust and get back on track despite slips or relapses. We've teamed up with Soberlink to provide you with tips for handling a relapse, which is a guide that can be downloaded at www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery dash elevator. On that page, you'll also find a form to sign up for a $50 off promo code for you or a loved one who is ready to take the next steps in their recovery journey. Okay, let's get started. Today, we are three episodes into our podcast Q&A series. If you want myself or Chris Oyen to answer a question on the podcast, Send your questions to info at recoveryelevator.com. Today's question is from Kelly in our Cafe Up group. The question is, how to make it through your first sober concert? Great question, Kelly. Let's do this. First off, 100% this can be done. It is possible. I can tell you I've been to dozens of sober concerts, and I think overall it's the better way to go for several reasons. Number one, you're going to remember it. Number two, You're going to get an overall better music experience as you're not going to miss your favorite song while you're waiting in the beer line. Number three, you're going to save anywhere from 20 to 60 to 70 bucks at the concert because you're not buying booze. 
Number four, you're not going to get a DUI in the drive home. Number five, you won't be drinking poison. Number six, no hangover the next day. Number seven, you won't be the idiot at the concert. Now, this is just a short list of the benefits of attending a concert sober. There are many more. Okay, now how to do it. Let's talk time frame. I would say hit the showers for your first 30 to 60 days alcohol free and sit the concerts out. Huey Lewis and the News will be back in your hometown soon. Once you do have some time under your belt and the cravings are in check, then I'd say green light on the concerts. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know how I feel about music. It's quite therapeutic. And music and vibration is an incredible tool to help one depart from alcohol, including live concerts. So I do want to say, regardless of how many days alcohol-free you have, if you're feeling squirrely the day of the concert, then sit it out. Sobriety is the priority here. Next tip, and this one is important. Make sure everyone you're going to the concert with knows of your goal not to drink or to be sober. This is crucial, and this is the most important tip. This strategy has saved my bacon many times. I also would not recommend being the designated driver. You want to have the option to peace out at any time. Next tip, try to always have a drink in your hand, an alcohol-free drink, of course. Part of this is satiating the habit of having a beverage in your drinking hand. It doesn't matter if it's a Miller Lite or a soda water, you're going to be more relaxed with a drink in your hand. And also, you're going to get thirsty. Next tip, where are you going to sit? If it's your first alcohol-free concert, maybe go for a seat instead of the floor area where it's standing room only. Your seat could almost be a refuge or a safety net of sorts. Okay, next tip. Let's be strategic with what type of concert you're going to. Maybe a symphony is a good entry point back into the concert world. Maybe it's a Grateful Dead cover band concert that has a structured AA meeting during intermission. Maybe it's a smaller event or a free outdoor concert of sorts. Maybe there isn't a full-on light laser and fog show at your first sober concert. Go slow and do your best to put yourself in situations where you see yourself being successful. Next tip, the only way to double happiness is to share it with someone else. Do not go to your first sober concert alone, or your second or third. If you can go to the concert with other sober friends, then that is the best way to do this whole thing. Strength in numbers is a real thing. Next tip, ask for guidance from your higher power, a god of your choice, or the oak tree in your front yard. It could look or sound something like this. Dear universe, you know how long I've wanted to see Duran Duran live. Well, the time has come. Please give me the strength and the courage to do this sober, to be present for all of it. Stand beside me, rock with me, and backstage passes wouldn't suck either. Another tip with this is to visualize yourself at the concert. Visualize yourself seeing the band, enjoying it, singing the lyrics. Visualize yourself walking out the exit door sober. Next tip, this one's important also, enjoy the concert. Place either your right or left hand in the air with all your fingers out, then make a fist with only your thumb, middle finger, and ring finger. <laughs> you now have the universal sign for rocking out, as you probably already know. Don't forget to move your hips back and forth, and if you know the lyrics to the songs, well, then we better hear you sing. Now, let's get real. What happens if you drank at your first sober concert? Well, the previous tip still applies. Enjoy the concert, and harm reduction is a real thing. No need to say F it and don't go off the rails. Take an Uber home and don't beat yourself up. 
Tomorrow is a new day and the opportunity for your next sober concert is right around the corner. Now, I've been to a bunch of sober concerts, but a couple that stand out for me are when I saw DJ Steve Aoki in Guatemala City in Guatemala. The show ended at like 4 a.m. and I had three Red Bulls. It was absolutely incredible. The next concert, and you saw this one coming, was when a cafe I remember invited me to a Third Eye Blind concert in Denver, Colorado. It was pouring rain during the opening band, so most of the crowd left. Then Third Eye Blind came out and rocked the house. I was so thankful to be sober in that moment and so thankful for the journey. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Yes, you can go to a concert sober. Yes, I hope you do go to a concert sober because that is part of the healing process. Again, if you want myself or Chris to answer a question live, email info at recoveryelevator.com. We've got about seven or eight episodes left in this series. I hope you enjoyed this intro. I had a good time putting it together. Thank you again, Kelly, for the question. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Santino. We all know the importance of sleep, and in sobriety, sleep is one of those things that we're able to start to heal. However, I've heard from a few people that even though they're sleeping like babies due to sobriety, they're also really struggling to calm their thoughts and their racing mind as they are trying to unwind for an evening of good sleep. I personally love therapy because as these thoughts come and go, I'm able to put them away in a bucket knowing that I can process them out during my session. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator. Santino, how are you? Hi, I'm good, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, Santino, I'm great. Thank you for asking. Listeners, this is exciting. Occasionally we have, you know, where are they now? We get guests returning to the podcast. Now, Santino... Now, Santino was interviewed on episode 397, which dropped September 2022. That episode was titled The Ultimate Connection. If you want to go back and hear it, that would be great. But we're also going to cover all of Santino's story today. And listeners, I'm going to get into this with Santino. When was your last drink? My last drink was May 24th, 2022. May 24th, 2022. And I looked at my notes before we hit recording. That's the same alcohol-free date as your original interview. So the streak is alive, my man. How do you feel? It is. I feel really good. I feel beyond good, but I feel very, very good. Yeah. Congratulations, Santino. The first time we recorded, you had 43 days away from alcohol. This time you have 418 days away from alcohol. You know, before we get into your story, your sobriety, how you did it, just give us like the 10,000 foot view. You know, what's the difference from last year's interview to this interview of how you're feeling? The difference is definitely insurmountable. It is, I feel like a brand new person inside and out. And I know that's very, you know, cliche to say, but it's true. But it's also that distance between my older self and newer self is definitely uh, very palpable moving forward every day with my life and, and what I want myself to be. 
Um, and I feel like now I'm very, very close or at least getting closer to that than I was a year ago. Yeah. The distance from your old self is, is far, right? It's, it's massive. Yeah. I don't even know that guy myself from eight years ago, from five years ago, we're supposed to evolve in our recovery journey. And listeners, if you're on 40 days, 50 days, and you're like, all right, I didn't quit drinking for this. Well, Santino is here to tell you it gets better and we're going to get into all that. So Santino, before we continue, give listeners a little background about yourself. Where are you from? What you do for a living? Perhaps your age? Do you have a family? And then what do you like to do for fun? Sure, absolutely. So again, my name is Santino. I am uh, living in Taunton, Massachusetts, but I am originally from the Midwest. I grew up born and raised in the state of Missouri, but I currently live in Taunton, Massachusetts. I do have a family. I am married, been married now for uh, eight going on nine years. And I have a three going on four-year-old son that lives with me as, as well that we have together. And I love, because we live in Massachusetts, I do love obviously nature and maybe I'd like to go into like hiking and stuff like that. But going to the beach, especially because of the weather now in the summer has been really a newfound sort of always been, you know, thing to, to do and wanting to do. So yeah, that's kind of my background and, and a little bit of update from last year's interview. Yeah. Santino, one of the internal roadblocks we have in quitting drinking is, you know, what am I going to do for fun now? How has it changed from last year, 43 days to today, 418, your hobbies, life enjoyment and having fun? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's really one of those popular questions too. Uh, and I was actually thinking about this this morning. I was like, man, when I was sort of consumed with alcoholism and like that is what is either connecting me but it was you know real reality disconnecting me how am I going to have fun and it's funny now that I've taken it out of the equation taking alcohol out of the, I can have limitless fun there's fun everywhere really if you if you look, think about it, even if it's a walk or a stroll or even you know taking a nap you know there's fun in everything that's not alcohol anymore and it's funny how that veil has been lifted up the veil of alcohol has really lifted my eyes and opened my eyes even more so to say that I can have fun and really have a natural high that was always there that I've burdened myself with alcohol. There is fun everywhere. Santino, everywhere. I love hearing that. Delicious. I, I want to share, you know, my hobbies and interests from childhood returned at about yeah. year five for me, alcohol free. <laughs> so like, give it time. And I remember on our Costa Rica trip this last year, our sober travel trip, it was nighttime. I had a headlamp on and there was a leaf cutter ant trail going right by my uh, my hotel room. And I stared at this line of leaf cutter ants for, it had to been like three or four minutes. I got totally mesmerized with it. And you're right. There's fun. There's beauty. There's excitement everywhere. Uh, I was just missing it with the booze. All right, Santino, let's do what we came here to do. Let's hear your story into alcohol addiction and be sure to save some time for the sobriety component. Go for it, my yeah. man. All right. Perfect. Yeah. So it's just going to be basically a recap, but I'll go over it again. So, and it's funny how that we kind of take ourselves out of it because we've been, you know, sobriety in, in the sober clock, but being introduced in alcohol, obviously as a young teenager and having my first drink, you know, really in middle school, I'd say going into high school. And I've learned a lot about this too in, the, in this year update as well. But I've learned that just like how fun is always around us, there's the dangers of like alcohol or substance abuse and everything that's around us as well too. I think having, and I'm learning this through therapy currently, I think reconciling my relationships 
with my parents first and foremost had really sort of forged this unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And I didn't really know it until I said it out loud the other day, but in one of my counseling sessions was that I was learning about alcohol and what it did and, you know, the fun aspect behind it and whether you're in high school, college, but I also learned the invisible phantom elements of alcohol, which are disconnecting yourself from reality, just like any mind altering drug. Santino, can you expand a bit on that? You said you're working in therapy, the relationship with your parents and how that had uh, had a relationship with you and alcohol, right? And this isn't a finger pointing session either, right? I like to, I live in the world that our parents did our best, everybody's doing our best, but that absolutely has something to do with it. If we are to pull something from the 1972 Rat Park experiment done by Bruce Alexander. Yeah, go for it. Sure. So, you know, growing up in a single family home, you know, my mom was a single mom. And then she remarried when I was a little bit older, you know, between the ages of, I say, six, six years old to about 13 is when we were kind of just me and her. And then when she remarried, you know, a lot of focus got shifted to younger kids that were brought into the marriage and whatnot. But I think I developed a relationship with alcohol because I didn't really see my dad a lot. I only saw him maybe once a year or, you know, wherever, you know, because he was in his, had a different family at that time. I was really learning that alcohol became a little bit of a friend, if you will. It became like something you did on your own or something you did to fit in. But for me, it was more visceral. I felt like I was utilizing alcohol to connect more, connect more with my dad in the sense that he liked to drink beer and I like to drink beer, this kind of thing. And then I was drinking more, sort of ironically, to disconnect more from my mom because, yeah, she liked to drink, but her mood was always you know, from a constant swing or maybe negativity or pessimism or just like, man, she's really on my case or nagging me every day about school. Let me drink to get away from that. But let me also drink and spiritually almost to be connected with my dad, even from afar. Like, at least I still have him through this. And at least I can have minimal of my nagging mom through this too. So this became almost like this very bizarre paradox between I'm using alcohol, not obviously to get high or to get drunk, but I'm actually using it as an effect to stay even more so away from my mom who's with me every day, but to stay as close as I can with my dad who's not with me every day. So that's kind of like a little bit of a breakdown of how my psyche worked around alcohol. Interesting. Thanks for sharing, Santino. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keep going with the story into the addiction. Sure. So, and then I, as I turned 18, I joined the military, I joined the Air Force and I signed for a six-year contract. And just kind of going through the military in general as a young guy, as a young person, you know, alcohol usually is is a part of the product. It's a byproduct, I'd say. It's always part of the culture. It's part of the socialization, these things. And I think a lot of it, too, kind of festers on the fact that if you had this problem before, it's definitely going to amplify into something maybe you did not expect or you did expect and you just kind of just go with it. I think for me personally, that's what it was. I was already kind of um, creating the habit of, of drinking while in high school but then also creating more of that habit and and it feeding itself in the military, being around people who like to drink too, who like to drink around the same time I like to drink, like, you know, going out in social gatherings. But then that's when I started developing, I'd say between 19, 20, 21, when I started developing self-isolation, drinking on my own. Because when I turned 21, obviously legally able to buy this booze on my own, I don't need to be on someone else's clock. I don't need to be on someone else's party routine. I was doing it for myself. And I think between the ages of, I, I'd say, 21, 22, all the way to about my early 30s, I was 
making it a habit to deliberately plan out, you know, I'd like to drink when I'm done meeting with someone here. Or if, you know, me and my partner, now my wife who wants to go out here, but I want to pregame on my own, these kind of things, you really find intricacies and idiosyncrasies for your own habit um, that people don't know about, but that's the whole point. You hide that from people, you hide that from your loved ones. Yeah. Now, now Santino with his decade, I think you said in your early thirties, you were planning times where you could drink solo. You could isolate yeah. and just be you with the molecule alcohol. Was there a time when, when you, there was an internal voice saying, all right, we are drinking before meeting up with people after meeting up with people. Maybe this, maybe this isn't how everybody drinks. Absolutely. My internal voice is very loud, but also very quiet at the same time, because I think I've incentivized my inner voice the same way I think I've incentivized myself by rationalizing, by saying it's not as bad as the next person or comparing and contrasting other people who, well, I'm not getting, you know, the three three DWIs or the three DUIs, or I'm not getting this or have to go to detox. This is me simply being me alone by myself and i'm not hurting anybody you know obviously i'm hurting myself and i'm not hurting anybody outside of that bubble and it's also just a selfish way that it's almost like you give your own consent by respecting your own autonomy i can do whatever i want i'm a grown adult i have my own money i'm not hurting anybody i'm not doing anything illegal you have these sort of rationalizations that when you really break it down it's like yeah you're right i guess it's not that bad and in your mind, your inner voice gets more quiet and say, yeah, I guess you're right. It's not that bad. Maybe we'll reassess next time. And that's how it always was, was a next time we'll talk about it. Let's put it off. Let's put it off. So yeah, deflecting my inner voice is a big part of it. Sure. And Santino, during that decade, was there a progression? Did you recognize you needed to drink more to get the same effect? Uh, and how much, were, how much were you drinking? That's not a question I ask everybody, but I'm curious. Yeah. So I think from my early 20, early to mid 20s, it was probably a burden for me to think that, oh, my God, I can't drink more than six, seven, eight beers at a time. I think for me, it was always like a sweet spot. Have a nice six pack. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling good. And then I can probably wrap up for the night. I think it started ramping up. Maybe, you know, as I got older, I started realizing that I was I was requiring more of consumption to kind of maintain that high and maybe even be more so. But I think what got tricky wasn't so much the the tolerance. I think what got tricky was so much of challenging myself. Like I can do more. I could drink more if I really tried. And not only that, it's a win-win because not only am I drinking more, I'm going to get more drunk or more of the high, better than what it was before. I think that was the slippery slope. I started to realize, you know, right and true that it wasn't about, again, how much quantity, it was about the quality of that alcohol. That in me being the beer drinker, it was obviously, it's always passive. It's not like your straight shots of liquor, your straight shots of whiskey. It's very a slow burn of alcohol that three, four, 5% in each can or each bottle you have to have a good amount to really feel those effects and maintain those effects. And then, of course, the slow burn going in is always going to be a slow burn going out. When you stop, it's going to be, oh, you're going to feel it just as you felt going in. And I think that's when I started realizing it was becoming an issue quantity wise. Yeah, I've never heard it described that way. The slow burn going in, the slow burn mm -hmm. coming out, right? You got to be patient on the departure process. Let your body, mind and spirit heal the, really in the same time frame. Now, you mentioned you've been married for eight years. Did I get that correct? Yep, eight, eight years. Well, eight and a half years going on nine. Okay. You know, when it's a party of one with alcohol and yourself, uh, how did you hide this from your spouse? Did you? Was there another voice in the household going, yo, Santino, uh, want to hang out with me? 
So I think I didn't really have the need to hide, at least from me. I didn't think I needed to hide it from my spouse because we both like to drink. You know, we both like to socialize and drink. We both like to maybe have some wine at the end of the week. We both like to have, you know, the beers that maybe we like to try and stuff like that. And together drinking, it never really was this issue. Like maybe we had two, three or four and then call it a night. I think me hiding it became a little bit more intentional, probably in the more recent years of like when I was 32, 33. And especially after we had our son, I think. And then this was pretty much the height of the pandemic as well. So I always kind of reference back to this timeline because at that time I was 31 going on 32 and then the pandemic started. And I think a lot of that decades long, let's just say a decades long of of drinking kind of really added up in the totality of, you know what, my behavior with brown alcohol is becoming, it's almost like upgrading. It's becoming more sly, more sneaky, more devious, uh, more meticulous. And I think the pandemic just became that excuse as well, like for everybody else that I'm not going into work, I'm not going in public, whatever, but, you know, I can drink a little bit more, I'm staying home, you know, these things. And I think it became more apparent that I was truly not only hiding my drinking from my spouse, but I was hiding the truth. And the truth was that I need help. That was the honest truth. It wasn't about Yes, I have a problem. That's apparent, obviously. But what's also apparent is that I need help and I'm not asking for it. That was my biggest wake up. Yeah, Santino, when when you internally voiced that declaration, I need help, uh, how old were you then? You said 32, 33? 32, yeah. I'd say 32, 33. Okay. Was that because there were external ramifications like, uh, you know, perhaps hangovers, missing jobs and things like that? Yeah, it would be more like I'd say being extra fatigued, being uh, irritable in situations, you know, conversationally that did not need to be irritable, making a big deal about something that didn't need to be a big deal, um, lacking communication in which in the past I was thriving in. So, you know, creating alienation, both, you know, mentally and physically as well, wanting to be by myself, maybe going on walks by myself and not necessarily doing it for health reasons, but doing it says I wanted to get away and drink on my own kind of thing. And then another part of that too, was that I was starting to realize that I couldn't hide this anymore financially, especially because we're married and we are financially transparent in that regard that I was like, this is going to come out to light like sooner than I think. And so because I was like, I need help on that regard and I need help on the financial piece too. I was like, this is going to have to come out to light whether I like it or not. And I'm going to have to rip this bandaid whether it's my timing or not. So that was another ramification that this was not going to be prolonged because if I was going to prolong this, it was going to be on an extreme basis of no longer being in a relationship, no longer being this sort of family unit that I want to create with my partner. This That ramification was going to turn the family unit into pieces as well. Listeners, Santino pieced it together perfectly with that analogy of ripping the Band-Aid off. You said, it's either gonna, it's either me going to do it on my own or it's going to get ripped off in another format or fashion that you know, you're know you not a fan of, right? You're not of your choosing. So there's another way, you know, the gig is up. Listeners, if you're drinking long enough yeah. and you're listening to podcasts, you're, you're probably not far off of that scenario where the gig is up and either yeah. you can... You can make the choice, you can step away from it, or the universe externally will say, boom, here's a DUI, a job loss, maybe you know incarceration. Um, I like how you said that. So when you started to realize, look, I'm going to have to pull this Band-Aid off or it's going to get ripped off, 
did you start to put rules into place? Like, what did that process look like for you to coming to your sobriety date of May 24th, 2022? Yeah. So I can go right back. I can think of it like it was yesterday. I'll go, I'll bring you back to the year 2021. You know, I'm going on 33 years old and my relationship with my partner was pretty low in regards to like, you know, we're not really keeping together um, in our relationship, nothing with our jobs, nothing with finances, nothing with our, our child, but with us as, as two people, you know, and we get lost in, you get lost in the mix with a family and as a married couple, you do in the idea of marriage sometimes you have to break it down at a molecular level as individuals. Who are you? Who am I? Who are we together? What do I like about you? What do you like about me kind of thing? And really go back to basics. I think I started losing grip of this rope in that year because we weren't communicating. We weren't talking. We weren't genuinely interested in each other and each other's day. And if we were, it became more of like just this burden or less chore of like, obligatoriness of I'm just saying it because I feel like I have to not because I want to and hiding behind the guise of well we're married that's just what we do I think at that time frame if I were to bring you to that that year I knew something within the year 2022 was going to have to change because I can't keep going like this she can't keep going like this we can't keep coming like this so yeah I knew that a big part of it too was going to be my credit card debt too that was going to come into play and that came into play the year later. Okay. Okay. So there was an external ramification on the recovery elevator sobriety tracker. There's something that's a, uh, there's an option. Like how much was your drink? How many drinks did you have per day? I've saved almost $85,000 just by quitting drinking. Right. Um, so maybe you want to get there now, but actually let's go there in just a moment. Let's go back to your sobriety date around there. Was it a rock bottom moment? Was it, was it being sick and tired of being sick and tired? What? propelled you forward uh, on May, May 24th, 2022? It was, it was definitely a little bit of the sick and tired of being sick and tired for sure. But I think this actually became a, the jig is definitely up. There's no way out. There's no way to escape this. You are officially cornered. You've been caught. You've been caught. And being, have, imagine having just everything in your power completely gone and completely relinquished. There's no more hiding. There's no more, like you're out in the open and that is it. It, it is open season. And that day came about when we were applying for the mortgage for our house. And my credit card debt showed, my credit card utilization showed, and I had to face the truth. And I had to, there was no more hiding it. There was no more trying to play around. Like I'll make a payment. Don't worry about it. No, it was time. And I think that was my realization of like, you know what? It's not my timing, but it's going to happen now. And that's what happened. We had the conversation about what is this? What happened? And I explained what happened. I have a problem and I've always had this problem and it hasn't come up to, you know, naturally up until now, obviously. And here we are. Yeah. Did your credit card debt affect the application? No, it actually didn't. I mean, it wasn't that bad of, of debt. I mean, just to kind of give listeners an idea amount wise, I've, for a whole year now, I've, I've been paying the same credit card debt, but I went from about thirteen and a half thousand to now about seven thousand. So I've I've taken it down halfway, and I haven't used the credit cards at all since we've last talked, Paul. We wow. I have not used them at all. Yeah. Well, well congratulations they, with that. I mean, I would call yeah. you an American if you didn't have credit card debt, right? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that's part of our society. But uh, congratulations on yeah. that. 
I haven't used and, the credit cards at all. I've, they've been put away and I've made double double minimum payments every month on those. And that's been another part of what, and we'll get into it later about financial relief as well. But that was, that was it. And when you see those numbers, the numbers don't lie. The credit card statements don't lie. And I guess a part of it, I was thankful that this, that had happened because everything's now black and white. There's no, you know what I mean? If ands or buts. Now it's time for, you said you want to get help and you said you want to, do better. And you said, I want to face the truth. Well, here's the truth facing you. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Sometimes that data, which is not subjective, you can't twist it. It's black and white. It's what we need. Right. I love that. But I also want to commend you, Santino, when you said the gig is up, I'm open season, I'm in the light and here it is. All right. So this is a classic trait of addiction. It puts you in that, but not everybody says, all right, okay, hands up. You got me. Let's talk about this. Most people Santino, they double down, right? They leave their family, they leave their job, they choose alcohol over all that stuff. So right there, great job, my man. And and that's partly why we're here today with 418 days away from that. Okay. So, so give us an update. What happens next? What did, how did the conversation go? And I want to know how you felt when you finally said, look, here's the issue. It's been a problem. Uh, you know, was that liberating for you? Yeah. So I'll give you the same answer I gave you a year ago in this interview. That moment was a big mixed bag of emotions, um, not only from my partner, from my wife, but from me as well. But I think more so on my wife. For me, it was a mixture of elation, of liberation, freeing, you know, being free and liberated from, you know, what the hidden truth was. But then I'd say moments after that feeling, it was going to be this mode of ambivalence. It was going to be this mode of shock and awe. And it was going to be the grieving process, but starting with anger and starting with denial and that keep going back and forth on itself for the next weeks, maybe even months. Imagining that day being the impetus of all of that. And that was very scary. I was terrified. Yeah, sure. I got the truth out. And, you know, I feel like now the monkey's officially off my back. But now I have to pick up all these pieces that I created, pieces of being dishonest, pieces of being uh, uh, full of deception, pieces of being, you know, malicious in the sense that I wasn't there emotionally. And this is why. And the consequence was my reflection. My consequence was, well, Santino, you did this. No one else did this. You did it. No one forced you to be meticulous, to be deliberate in, in your pattern of behavior. You did it. And that was a very hard truth to swallow. And I would argue, Paul, to this day, I am still swallowing a little bit of that. Sure. Absolutely. And I think acceptance is the holy grail of this journey, acceptance and taking responsibility for it. Yeah, maybe an addiction is a disease. There's a hundred ways to get into it. That really doesn't matter. Maybe it's environmental. I'm actually more of a camp. It is environmental. It's a manifestation of the society we live in, our upbringing, et cetera. But it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Here we are. Um, but you're doing something about it. You did something about it and we can't hide from our life circumstances. Well, we can temporarily, right? But at the end of the day, we, we gotta, we gotta face it. Yeah. Okay. So the mortgage statement, right. Was that right on May 24, 2022 or right around there? That was, that was the, that was, uh, the 26th. So it was two days after I decided to stop. Wow. So okay. two days after I decided to stop two days later, we got our mortgage sort of the application back where, you know, your loan officer tells you, Hey, this is what you have. These are your scores, which are decent scores. They weren't, you know, it wasn't bad. It was that debt that was really like, Whoa, what is that? Yeah. 
Yeah. And in this run of sobriety, has the ego come in and said, hey, we still got the mortgage. It wasn't that bad. Have you almost gone back out to drink? So it's interesting. That was my knee-jerk reaction. And when I had let out the truth, like, you know, this didn't affect us home buying, this didn't affect us income-wise, you know, as a whatever. But I think my ego, I had to be the one to silence the ego very quickly because it came down to we don't have an option now. Like you, Santino, do not have an option. Like failure cannot be the option. If you drink again, it's over. This marriage is over. This relationship is over. The nastiness and the tumultuousness and the malice of divorce proceedings will begin. Custodial issues of your child will begin. All of that stuff will commence the moment you drink again. And I think having that extreme light next to you to say, hey, it's either heaven or hell, I think it's very, very clear on what you want to do. Came to me, that extreme had to have happen. Yeah, and that would be the window of clarity, right? As well as playing the tape forward, knowing A, yep. B, C, D, and all through Z, all that shit storm is going to happen if I don't make a change. And I know, I know it wasn't, I know it wasn't easy, right? This can be a difficult journey. In fact, how has it been? Discuss the hard parts of it. Yeah, the hard parts of the journey are having the the blips of I say negativity, but like the blips of not feeling a hundred percent confident with. First and foremost, my my marriage, it really took a hit because we went back to marriage counseling, you know, a month or so after the submittance to her and went back to the same doctor that we had before. And he's great. But the reminder, the stark reminder that, oh, my God, this happened like this imploded our marriage. Like you, me, Santino, imploded our marriage. Look what you did. Look, look what now we have to do and in, in creating creating a vision that maybe never really was there because I was sort of faking the funk, if you will. Um, my partner being reminded during counseling, you know, and it maybe doesn't hurt as much, but in the beginning it did of, I can't believe we're even here in the first place. Like why I'm so stupid to think that I had something that ever really was there in our marriage because of this issue. And then in the beginning of her, maybe attending some Al-Anon meetings, but then kind of slowly coming to terms that like, this isn't my problem. Why should I have to take a hit on any of this? Which is true. I'm not going to sit here and say that, no, this is our problem. No, that you know, we're married, you know, what's yours is mine. Mine is yours kind of thing. No, this is absolutely an individual issue. And it's my individual issue. And whatever support you want to give or not give, that's completely, you know, true too. It, it doesn't have to be a certain way. I think the aftermath of all of this is having the reminder that yes, this occurred a year ago, this happened. And it ruined a lot of aspects of our marriage that we thought we had. But I think for me trying to fight, find light in the darkness that maybe this can be a great opportunity to not only start a new chapter in this marriage, but to make it better than what it have become even if alcohol was not in the picture. Santito, how to find light in the darkness. I think that word would be crisis. And I think it's more, it might not be more than half the languages, but there are hundreds of languages that the word crisis is coupled with opportunity. I know Chinese is one of them. So with each crisis, with each, holy shit, look what I ruined. Look what I did this. There is a tremendous opportunity. Now, has this built your relationship with your wife and your family or helped in any fashion or made you stronger, tighter? Yeah, I think it's definitely helped to create a better foundation, maybe even a new foundation. And I think we've kind of, me and my wife have kind of come to a mutual understanding that, you know what, this happened, 
we're going to get, we'll get through it. It's going to be little by little and we'll take those wins as they come. You know, we can't promise that there won't be some ebbs and flows and fluctuations of emotion, but we kind of use their analogy now of just like our, our marriage and trying to repairing it as let's plant this new tree and I'm going to water it and you're welcome to come over here and water it too. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Santino, let's talk about your physical and emotional health in the, I don't know, what is that? 380 something more days you've had since our last interview. So I'll just start with the physical. I mean, I feel so much healthier. You know, I didn't like lose a ton of weight or I didn't, you know, I pretty much kept the same weight, you know, healthy weight, but physically I feel so much more alive in the sense that there's just so much clarity and it kind of right goes right back to sleep. I feel like this past year I've been able to at least, you know, pinpoint, wow, I get good sleep. I am actually getting the sleep that I feel like I needed or that I you're supposed to get, you know what I mean? And maybe some nights aren't the full six, seven hours or whatever you're looking for. Maybe it's even just a couple hours. That's fine. But sleep as it is, not as it was by blackouts or by just passing out, you know, sleep isn't being intended to be sleep. That is, I, I can't even stress enough, you know, to people out there that that is important, especially as you get older, that you need that. You need that recharging yourself every day. And also going back to health-wise, I don't miss any of the hangovers. I don't miss that at all. I don't. Yeah. <clears throat> what is the key to sobriety? Well, it could be sleep, right? You know, it's a well-known and studies show that alcohol destroys your sleep, right? You're not getting the deep REM sleep that you need. You're not hitting those dream cycles. You're not hitting, you're not hitting your brain's not hitting the delta and the gamma waves needed yep. for sleep. Uh, and when you remove the alcohol, yes, your sleep's going to go haywire for a couple of days. I remember the first three nights where I can't sleep for shit. This sucks, you know, night sweats. But after that, like let your body, let the intelligence in the circuitry in your DNA help you assist you with the healing. Let's talk yeah. about your financial place right now, uh, your financial yeah. health. And that's, that's a big part of this too, right? Because financially we can be ruined by alcohol, oh, just removing the alcohol. Yeah. It's like 40, $50 yeah. a day for some, for more or less, right. You're not spending. Let's hear it. Yeah, sure. And I, I have the app too, that I use my, uh, I am sober app and it has an option to put in there for, you know, approximate, it's never really exact or whatever, but approximate, like how much were you spending per day or per week? And I think I looked at mine and I think on average, I might have saved this past year, I'd say at least $8,000. Um, total of, you know, if I were to, you know, buy a drink every day or every other day, you know, for $10, $12 a day or, you know, whatever you add it up, it, it does add up over the year. And I think a, a good approximate was about $8,000. And now I think about that number as financially, like a lot of people might think, well, you know, that is a lot of money and that's blah, blah, blah. How does that, you know, attest to you today? And I think about that and I think about where I'm at financially now, you know, with my family and with the house and with the mortgage. And it's like that $8,000 is crucial. It's paramount. Losing that right now and you ask anybody, that would be uh, like, that's a hit. Maybe some people can't even afford to take that much out right now. So I put that in terms of like, you know, financial health as in, wow, was that something that could have been detrimental to my financial health today? And absolutely it could. Have I done what I have done to save that money has helped me in my financial future because that is something that I've saved from that day moving forward, how much I've saved to this day of $8,000. And that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money you can invest. That's a lot of money for savings. And that's a lot of money everywhere else. 
Santino, we've got a lot of parents listening at the moment. Can you comment on fatherhood or being a father? I think you said a two or three year old in the house. How has you know how has removing alcohol affected your parenting? Now feeling more centered, feeling more present in my time with my son, especially as a parent, you have your responsibility of taking care of your kid, taking care of your kids. But I think what has helped me up to this point is really, truly living these moments with my child and really being a part of it, not having to feel like there is something else I'm waiting for. Um, I think with alcohol, it was like, hey, I'm going to do this. But then at the end of the day, I'm going to make sure I get my drink because that's, you know, my reward. My reward now is being with my child, being with my family and, and, and being that better parent because it's like, oh, daddy likes to drink or that, you know, these things, just like I did with my dad, I felt with my dad, it's like, I don't want that to be an option. It doesn't have to be an option. It could be like, mm, my dad's there. He's present. He's available. And, you know, he's a smart guy. He seems to be, you know, if I can come to him for anything. And that's what I like to be. And that's what shaped me, especially as he's going to get older and understand these conversations um, as a young child. That has motivated me to, to say self-centered, but also centered as a parent, too, as a, as a responsible dad. Santino, while doing this project, Recovery Elevator, the podcast, I think burning the ships, right? And that was like the credit card moment with you. You're almost forced to do that. I think burning the ships is the single most effective thing that we can do on our journey. That creates accountability. Then it creates community. Really, you burn the ships. And, and Dr. Anna Lemke has a book called Sober Nation, which he talks about how this there's actually release of healthy dopamine when we are honest. Mm -hmm. Authenticity and honesty is very healthy for us individually, very healthy for our communities. So, you know, what does your program look like? We haven't heard the word AA or podcasts or meditation sure. or reading or whatnot. Like, how, how have you done it? Uh, let's hear it. Yeah. So, and I'm, yeah, I'm surprised I didn't get into that already. So just like last year, when I started going to the AA meetings, I'd go to the same AA meetings in my area here. Um, that's about 20 minutes from my job. Um, and I go there at least nowadays, it's been about once, maybe twice a week. It used to be when I first was getting into it. And obviously the freshness of admitting I had this problem, I was going almost every day. But now based on my work schedule and if I'm doing this or I have appointments, I go at least twice a week. Um, and then sometimes on the weekends, I do Zoom meetings um, as well with uh, international AA meetings. Um, I think a lot of it's based out of Sydney, Australia. And I attend those programs. And then obviously your podcast, I follow, I followed even before I had my original one, but even a year later, I still follow the same episode that you've uploaded and, and listen to everyone else's stories and testimonials. And then also to surrounding myself with like-minded um, sobriety journeys. I have two coworkers, for example, who know exactly where I'm coming from. They know exactly where I've been because they've been the exact same situation, if not worse. And it's been very, it's been very encouraging to be around people like that, that know exactly where you're coming from, even when you feel shameful in those moments, that shame is really stripped away when you have people like that. Yeah. What is that phrase in the room of the 12 steps? If you hang out in a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut, right? That's right. You got to change. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And you're the average of five people you hang out with. Yeah. My favorite quote in my AA meetings that I have, and it's a lot of with the older guys who have 30, 40 years under their belt. My favorite, and it makes me feel so much better about myself too, and maybe this helps the audience as well, the world record for the longest time without a drink is 24 hours. Mm. And I think that can ring true for really anybody. And if you put it in that, the moral of that is it's day by day. 
does not matter if it's four minutes or 40, 40 years, 24 hours is the world record. So once you hit 24 hours, you're there, you're there. Yeah. And then bring Einstein in the equation and time does not even exist. We're all in the same time frame. All right, Santino, we have reached the rapid fire round. You can answer these questions within 10 to 30 seconds. That would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Santino, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking? I learned that I bring so much more value to myself, to my family. And not only that, the perception of how I receive myself. I am worthwhile and I am put on this earth for a reason. And I want to live out that reason every day. Best sober moment. Best sober moment was realizing that I don't need alcohol to have fun and I don't need alcohol to dictate what fun is to me anymore. Yeah, give me, what are you drinking? Favorite AF drink? Definitely gonna be Waterloo Seltzer and it's gonna be also uh, the Poland Spring, Polar Spring. Yeah, what's the point of life? Point of life is to live it every day as if you never see it again. What's your favorite 80s or 90s band? 80s or 90s bands probably going to be, oh man, that's tough. I'd say Beastie Boys. Ooh, there we go. Intergalactic, what a great album. What has recovery made possible for you, Santino? It's made having a healthy marriage possible. It's made having a healthy parenthood possible. And it's also helped me be a better big brother now that I have my sister living with me Um, and being a mentor and a guide for her that maybe our father couldn't have been. And that's given me a possibility of, of of limit possibilities to know that I can do whatever I need to do and be best, be my best, best self to everyone else. You can only pick one pizza topping for the rest of your life. What is it? Cheese. Yeah, that works. <laughs> After I said that, I was like, well, it's always cheese and something else, right? That's, I probably would have gone there too. Last question. Cheese. What parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners? I think I can give the listeners, give yourself grace in all the moments that you feel like you don't even deserve grace. Because at the end of the day, you're still a living, breathing breathing human being. Yes, you made mistakes. Yes, you did something bad or something wrong, but it doesn't mean that you can't correct yourself like Paul said in the crisis. You can always correct it. You can always do it. And it's never unique to you. Somebody somewhere, somewhere else has done that too. So just remember, you're never alone in those situations, and there's always room for correction. Santino, before we depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Need to Ditch the Booze If line. You might need to ditch the booze if you have created a world outside of your current world that has everything to do with alcohol. If you're living another life when it's not supposed, when it's not the life that's right in front of you, you definitely might have a problem with alcohol. Yeah, I track with that for sure. Santino, this was incredible. I love hearing from people after the interview. And, you know, let's get real. Not everybody stays sober, right? But a lot of times people, they relapse or whatnot, and then they get back on it. But there's also a cohort of interviewees who keep the streak alive. Both are equally amazing. Love them all. How courageous. All of our interviewees. So Santino, do me a solid. Uh, Reach back out next year. Let's do the same thing. No, that'd be great. This would be a great ritual for me and, and to keep track. And, you know, the summertime here, obviously in, J- in July and everything, and it's just really good to touch base. And I think it gives you some 
some substance to in yourself of like, you know, you are worth it. You have something to work towards having this goal. And maybe this could be one of those goals too, an annual update or annual, you know, reunion to kind of look back and say, you know what, you have come a long way and, and keep going. Yeah. A damn long way. Love it. Santino, thank you so much. Fantastic job. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. I have a small cactus on my desk directly to the left of my keyboard, which has been there for probably three years now. It's probably two inches high max and hasn't done anything in terms of growth for the entire time I've had it. In fact, I thought it was dead last year. And I almost tossed it. I kind of reorganized my desk and I held the cactus in my hand. I was like, uh, is this thing even alive? Well, about a week ago while typing, I take a look at this cactus and I see a small budding protuberance. That's the best word I can think to use. Anyways, that cactus is blooming and it's a wonderful sight to see. Let's tie this into sobriety. Be patient with yourself. Give yourself time, care, and attention. And remember that all flowers bloom at different times. Everybody blooms at their own pace. Don't give up on yourself. The bloom is right around the corner. Recovery Elevator, go big, because eventually we all go home. I love you guys.